In just a few moments, I'm going to read you some words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. But think about our lives with me, if you would, just for a moment. Uh, All during the week, we feel this constant pressure and tension to compete almost in anything, in everything, all the time. We compete with driving, right? Oh, you're not going to get in front of me, right? We're going to race from this point to that point. We feel pressure to compete for uh, how, how comfortable can I make my life and what I'm about and what I need to do. We're going to feel the pressure to compete with other families and who gives the biggest and best Christmas gifts this year. We feel pressure to compete in our jobs, to prove that we're better than someone else or to figure out how far behind we may think we are. We feel pressure to compete all of the time. And you might be here this morning and you feel overwhelmed with that sense that you have to compete. When we gather for worship, we are being invited into a deeper reality. The reality that is far more important than just trying to compete and get ahead or be overwhelmed by that competition. Listen to what the scripture says about Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being, found, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. And that's what we do in worship. Let's stand. Let's praise God, because Jesus has come into the world. I'd love to look with you this morning in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We have this sermon and Lord willing next week left in this series on Ephesians and then we'll get into more of a specific looking and thinking about Advent and longing for the coming of Christ. As you turn there or look in the bulletin or hopefully on the screen behind me, just wanted to preface what I'm going to read today. I'm going to read verses 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 24. And I wanted to tell you on the front end that we are going to be doing a, a big picture, 30, 50,000 foot view of these verses in front of us today. So I'm not going to go through every piece of the armor of God. I'm going to do everything I can to tee up all the pieces of the armor. If you look in your bulletin, you can see my third point is the only answer. Well, the armor is just a further clarification of that answer that we're going to look at together from these verses. So just going to tell you on the front end, there's a lot in these verses I'm not even going to talk about, but I want to get the gist of what's going on here. So I want to read this to you. This is the Word of God. You can bank the entirety of your emotional life, your moral life, your spiritual life, your future, your past, your present, on what I'm about to read you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. O Lord, We do ask that you would remind us afresh that you have come, Jesus, to make your blessings known as far as the curse is found. Help us to remember that. Help us to revel in that. Help us to understand these words, that your truth might change who we are this week and this season, that you might change who we are so that we might be more like you, more like Christ, more full of the Spirit. We pray for your glory. Amen. What do you do with the reality that the brokenness of the world is just everywhere? What, what do you do with the reality that the brokenness of the world is evident Everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's conflict. Everywhere you look, there are wars. Everywhere you look, everywhere we could possibly live, there is injustice. There is senseless poverty. There is racism and self-centeredness. There are senseless murders everywhere. There are systemic problems and failures. What do you do with evil? What do you do with all the brokenness of the world? What do we do with evil? What is your answer to the mess that we all find ourselves experiencing in the world in which we live? What's your answer going to be? What's my answer? Be, Be a better human being? Is that the answer to the brokenness and the evil in the world is just be a better human being? Maybe it's sometimes this. I don't even want to deal with this. We end up saying, I can't even think about that. What is your answer 
For me, this is where a man-centered view of reality really, really breaks down. If you want the technical terms, this is where secularism and post-Christian things, this is where that mentality of just being man-centered absolutely breaks down for me. You see, in that view of looking at reality, in a man-centered view of looking at reality, this is the mentality. Human beings are just bodies. And if we're just bodies, then that means that everything about us is just a chemical reaction, meaning love itself is just a chemical reaction. If my body is all that there is, then morality is just something that is you know, a construct, a social construct that develops over time. But that leaves me then with the struggle of saying, so if that's the mentality of looking at the world, then you can't actually say that the Holocaust was objectively wrong. If we just have a mentality that focuses on human beings and what we are, and if we are just bodies, then everything is driven by survival of the fittest. And our lives are just a race to see who's going to be strongest and who's going to be stronger than other people. And if human beings are just bodies, and oftentimes what we're told anyway is that once we die, that's it. We live, we die, that's the end of our existence, boom, everything's gone. Just leaves you with this sense of brokenness and evil. It's just unresolved. Have you ever experienced this? I remember the first movie I went to that had this kind of unresolve a number of years ago. It was the movie Seven. And after the movie was over, all I could think about is just how burdened I felt, how heavy I felt, because there was just evil everywhere and there was never resolution. If any of you followed Breaking Bad, then you know this as well. If you watched the latest uh, Infinity War, you remember that movie at the end, it just left you like reaching out for these people that were just vanishing. Just leaves you with this un resolve. There has to be something more than just our lives are engaging sociological constructs or biological abnormalities or psychological misfits. There's got to be something more. We can't reduce everything to just bad influences. This chapter, these verses in particular, 10 through 24, they're how God explains reality. And what God is telling us is that there is more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on than what we can see. There's a real spiritual and supernatural dimension to our lives and to the world in which we live. Listen to verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's more going on than what meets the eye. Evil is real. There are evil forces. Satan is real. There are spiritual beings that are real, and they are evil. There's a battle going on between good and evil, and it happens everywhere, all the time. 
social structures and in institutions, everything. As a matter of fact, the church that Paul planted in Ephesus and the ones that spun off of that and planted all around this place in Ephesus, you might remember when John Paul started this series and opened it up with the beginning of where this church was planted. You might remember that in Acts 18 and 19 and 20, we actually have an account of there were people who were heavily into the occult, and they came out of that into Jesus. There was even a massive like book burning where they took all these books that they had and they burned them up. Some of them actually had some encounters with supernatural things that they ended up getting their butts kicked. The Bible talks all about that in chapter 19 of Acts. Paul writes these words to people who understand the reality of supernatural things and the reality of evil and the reality of Satan himself. And he's trying to comfort them as he's trying to comfort us and say, look, there's more going on in your life than what just meets your eye. And now let's make this really clear. There are people that think way too highly of Satan. And there are also people who think too little of, perhaps not at all. And if I'm honest with you, I don't think we really live in an area in which people think too little of Satan and the devil. But I do think we live in an area in which people think too highly of evil and Satan himself. You know, where if you interact with people, they have a tendency to think that there's a demon around every corner, that Satan is under everything that is around them. Maybe you've experienced some of this where people say, yep, I just have a spirit of sickness. I have a spirit of oppression. I have a spirit of bitterness. I have a spirit of anger. And I need to get together with my friends and I just need to cast those out. You ever experienced this? Well, just so you know, no, life isn't all moose tracks, ice cream, and bareback dolphin rides into the sunset. It's not the way it is. And not everything in our lives is demonizable. And besides that, life with God is also not moose tracks, ice cream, and bareback dolphin rides into the sunset. There are challenges that we face and endure even being a child of God. There are attacks that we endure, temptations. The Bible even says here like fiery darts from our great enemy. It's true. And if I press this even further, I don't know that I've ever lived in a place where the Christian community thought so highly of the devil. I don't know that I've ever lived in a place in which not only does the Christian community think so highly of the devil, but also attributes so much power to human beings and also has so little preoccupation with Jesus. This is why people are so superstitious. You remember me telling you the story of the, um, the exterminators coming to our house to deal with some bugs. I've told you this before. And the folks that came to our house said that they could determine what sins we have based upon the bugs that they find at our house. 
Janine and I thought he was kidding. It's 100% serious. It's why people are so superstitious. They give way too much, attribute way too much power to Satan. Attribute way too much power to us as human beings, and there's so little preoccupation with Jesus. I think it's why as we walk around and live our lives in this community, it's why people are so burdened and why you can just tell when you talk with them how much bondage they are in. It's why people cringe at the thought of God's smile being upon us. It's why people expect Christianity should just tell them what to do rather than what Jesus has done. I mean, after all, why, why in the world, if you have this mindset that Satan has way too much power, if I have an enormous amount of power, and if I'm not preoccupied with Jesus, it's why I just want to be told what to do. I mean, after all, what Jesus did is important, but what I think of what Jesus did carries far more weight And since I can actually forfeit my salvation, why do I need to think about Jesus? I need to be told what to do. And you see, that ends up just putting an enormous burden on people. Maybe you've lived that and felt that burden. It is real bondage. Because in that type of mindset, Being honest about what's actually going on in your life is terrifying. Because immediately people will jump on you thinking that your faith isn't good enough or strong enough or that you should be exercising the power that you have more and more. It's bondage. And honesty is terrifying. And there is more going on that meets the eye. That's what God's saying. This is why all of life feels like a battle. This is why these verses are describing a battle. They're describing warfare. Actually, it's like a wrestling match is what God says. Because there's more going on. There's a battle. There's wrestling. Doesn't it seem like when you read through these verses that Paul is, you know, mixing his metaphors? You know, on one hand he's saying, Load up on your battle gear, put on a particular type of armor, and then on the other he says, but actually it's like wrestling. Doesn't it seem like he's mixing metaphors there? I've never seen a wrestler come out into the circle with all kinds of armor on. Have you? No, he's wanting us to think about things in a different way. He's being nuanced with us. He wants us to take this in because describing our lives are like a wrestling match in our ongoings with, the, with Satan and evil forces as a wrestling match, he, he wants us to really think about that. Because thinking about engaging with evil things as a wrestling match tells us an awful lot about our lives. You see, we never get in an airsoft battle with Satan. It just doesn't happen. It's not as though he's a thousand yards away and we fire a sniper shot. And he fires one back. That's not the way it is at all. It's wrestling. It's more like wrestling. Look at verse 12 and look at verse 11. 
There are schemes that he has. There are schemes that we have to identify. There's a slyness about our battle. There's an, there's an aggressiveness about this, thinking about wrestling. And there's something subtle about this image, as if you know that you get trapped and caught. One of my good friends in high school was a wrestler. He was a really, really good wrestler. Uh, he actually got a five-year full ride to wrestle at the Division I level. I think he won the States two or three times. I remember uh, sitting in a class when he opened up a letter from the Olympic Training Center. Happened to be with two of my friends, and both of them had the same letter, one for wrestling and the other for track. That was quite an honor for young men that were in high school, sophomore, junior year, to get a letter from the Olympic Training Center. And he was a lot of fun to be around. And he would always sneak up to you. Maybe it was just me, but I know it was other people. He would always sneak up to me and act like he was going to shake my hand. And the next thing I knew, uh, I was on my back, dislocated shoulder, and couldn't breathe. You ever had that kind of interaction with people that wrestle? They're always like coming in and like grabbing you and twisting you and throwing you and stuff, you know? There's not much you can do because you don't know the techniques. That's what Paul's getting at. There's a slyness to this where before you know it, someone's got you in a position and you can't breathe. You feel trapped. You realize you're upside down. Something has a hold of you. You see, evil is exactly like that. Evil is exactly like that. It's sly. It engages you. It engages me. And before you know it, has us. You see, evil never says this. Evil will never say this to you. In order for you to make it in your career, evil never says you will need to work so hard that you will have to alienate your family. Evil never says you can make it in your career, but you will need to work so hard that you'll alienate your family, your spouse, and your children. Evil never says that you're going to have to smash people on your way up. Evil never says you're going to have to work hard in your career to make it. And what that means is you're going to have to commit white lies. And you're going to have to embrace a certain level of dishonesty. Evil never says you're going to have to work hard in your career and you're going to have to let the bottom line dictate everything. Evil never says at the end of your career, you're going to be full of regret. Evil never says, you know, if you're going to, go, if you're going to approach life this way, you're going to have to compartmentalize your life into faith and work. Faith over here, work over here. Public life over here, private life over here. Evil never says that. Evil says you need to work hard so that you're going to be better than other people. Evil says you need to work really, really hard because you are better than other people. Evil says you are great. Evil says people need you. Evil says you can fix people through what you are doing. Evil says your job is a great way to show that you matter and to build your life around that. 
Evil says, your work and your career is a great way to build your identity. It's a great way to get people to like you. God will bless you because you work hard. That's what evil says. Evil says, this is the way God works. Just use God to get what you want. Before you know it, that can become the gospel. I work hard because I want God to do something for me. That's what evil wants us to think. You see, evil gets a hold of us. Before you know it, it's consumed us. It's why the wrestling imagery is so powerful. One of my favorite songs of all time is a song called Bartender. It's a song written to God, who is the bartender. And the lyrics go something like this. Bartender, fill my glass up for me with the wine that you gave Jesus that set him free after three days in the ground. And he's crying out to the bartender, asking him to give him that wine that he gave Jesus Because he says, the wine that's drinking me is the wine that strung Judas from the devil's tree, his roots deep, deep in the ground. Do you get the powerfulness of that? He's saying, Lord, he's really saying to us, this is what evil is like. There's wine that's drinking me. It's the wine of guilt. That was Judas. And shame, that was Judas. It's the wine that there can be no hope. It's the wine of attributing more power to Satan than I should. It's the power of thinking more highly of myself than I should. The wine that's drinking me is to be preoccupied less and less with Jesus. What's the wine that's drinking you? Can you relate to that? The shame? The guilt? You can hear the cry, Lord, give me the wine that you gave Jesus that set him free. Because the wine that's drinking me is nothing but shame. It's nothing but thinking more highly of Satan than I should, more ascribing more power to myself than I should. It's thinking that there's no hope. Well, There's only one answer to all of this. Look at verse 10. Paul starts off by saying finally, but actually what he is meaning by that word is this, from now on. I wish they had translated it that way. Finally, you know, that's what most of us think when I get close to the sermon or maybe halfway through. Finally, I can tell he's almost done with this. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying, from now on, from now on, for the rest of your life, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's the only answer to all of this warfare that's going on. It's the only answer. We have to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's the gospel. You see, what Paul is saying to us in all of these verses is this. He is not asking us to imitate something. Do you remember how chapter 5 starts out? Be imitators of God? That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not saying imitate something. 
He is inviting us to something. This is not imitation, but invitation. Paul is saying, I am inviting you into a much bigger reality. Step into that bigger reality. That's just another way to say, do you believe this? Step into this bigger reality than simply ignoring evil. Step into this reality rather than thinking, you know what? How I'm going to deal with sin in the world and evil and brokenness is I'm just going to be a better person. And that's just going to make things better. He's saying, no. Step into this reality. Don't live with a man-centered approach to everything. Don't live to a self-centered paradigm of life that leads you with all of this unresolve. No. Don't give the devil so much credit. No, step into this reality. Don't be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Find your strength in Jesus. Meaning, think about how Jesus faced evil. Meaning, think about how did Jesus use his power? What did he do? He laid down his life. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. And Jesus was given supreme exaltation because he emptied himself, because he became a servant. Jesus loved us with an incorruptible love. He took evil head on and said, bring it. I have the power to lay down my life. And he did. He took everything that Satan and evil had to offer and he took it all in himself and on himself. Even more than that, he took our personal sin and evil onto himself. He was a man to connect this with a few weeks ago. He was a man that lived his life based on his responsibilities, not on his rights. He disadvantaged himself so that we would have every advantage possible. You want to know how to deal with sin and evil and brokenness? Step into that reality. Take on the Lord Jesus Christ. Realize that what he did defeated sin and death in principle. And now he's been eradicating it for thousands of years. And one day he will remove it all and make all things new. It's coming. It's happening. You see, we have hope because of this incorruptible love of Jesus. This is why Paul, when Paul says put on or take up, He's not saying that you earned this. He's saying you already have it. Use it. When he says put on the armor, it's there. We don't make it up. We can't earn it. It's what Jesus has done for us. We put it on. We step into the reality of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection. If we put on Jesus, what that means 
is that we can absorb evil and brokenness in the world without bitterness. It means that we can forgive without demanding things. It means that we can confess all of our contributions to the brokenness and the evil of the world. And we can confess with confidence because we know that Jesus can forgive and has forgiven. And it means that we can live with confidence because Jesus will make all things right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can sing as far as the curse is found, knowing that Jesus, knowing that you, our Father, knowing that you, Holy Spirit, will work out the significance and the power of the death and resurrection so that one day all evil will be removed and put down and you will be all in all. So as we live our lives this week, help us to know that evil is real, that supernatural things are real, but you give us the good news of the gospel that enables us to live in a broken world, to confess where we add to it, and to live with hope that one day it'll be made new. This is good news. Convince our hearts of it by grace. Amen.